Welcome to X Chateau. X Chateau. The podcast that navigates the business of wine with unique perspectives and insights. With your host, Robert Vernick and Peter Young. Welcome to this episode of X Chateau. Today, our guest is Javier Pajas, who is the president of Dio Cava in Spain. Javier, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's a real pleasure to be with you today. I'm wondering if we could start off maybe a little bit about your background and about Dio Cava. So we can talk about how it's situated in the world of wine. Well, my background, personally, I've been uh, around the wine business for a long period of time. You know, I've done my career studies in business administration, basically. But then I, I did a few things before in agriculture and also in insurance. But my first serious job was in the wine business. I was as a salesperson in the wine business. And in fact, I worked in the United States for a few years in the East Coast and also in the West Coast in San Francisco. And I worked with an importer and also together with some uh, local distributors, some of them that today, they are huge distributors like Southern Wine, well, today it's called, it used to be called Southern Wine and Spirits, but now the name is also changed and, and they are multi-billion dollar companies. So I've been through, I know the United States, and then I was engaged in a company, Cava Company, as an international sales director. So I've traveled around the world, meeting many different importers, distributors throughout, restaurateurs, salespeople, and it's a fun business to be in. The wine business, I think that once you're in, you fall in love with it, with the people, with the wines, the food, and everything that surrounds it. So it's it's a really great business, very difficult business too, but a pleasure which we enjoy all of it. We end up to love the products and the wines, not only ours, but, but almost everyone's products. So from there, I... I've become in more uh, managerial positions. I've been CEO of the company, and today as a president of the Diocava, I do some other kind of, I have personal investments and entrepreneurships, but that's another thing. Today, I'm the president of the Cava Dio or Diocava. So I was wondering if you could help situate the wine region of Cava. So it's mostly in Catalonia, but not always. And it's mostly indigenous grapes, but there are some international varieties allowed. I tend to think of it as a, one of the more value-priced traditional method sparkling wines. But after it had visiting Spain and tasting through a lot of things, I was very impressed by some of the higher-end qualities, which I don't know that we always see here in the U.S. So I was wondering if you could give a brief overview of like help our listeners and our audience understand like how would you define Cava Dio as a region and sort of the styles of wines that they're making? I think you've done already quite well at the beginning, but yes, I think that Cava we could say that one of the main characteristics of Cava is that is uh, a deal in this case that is specialized in one thing, and this is producing sparkling wines. Now, there are some regions that, or deals that they do several things. We are specialized in cava, and that's sparkling wine. And then uh, cava by the traditional method. That's uh, the rules of the cava. We all know what traditional method is. There are many other sparkling wines, but cava, uh, the traditional method, requires lots of resources in terms of people, the way of making it, and also in terms of time. And also then as we can have the needs space for seller aging, 
In fact, that's what the Cava name came from, because they are called Cavas, you know, these underground cellars where the bottles age and do the second fermentation. Typical thing of Cava is clearly that's Spain, it's linked to Spain. And uh, as you said before, there are some indigenous varieties to Cava. The main ones are Charello, Macabeo, and Pariada. But clearly there are other two international varieties that were added to Cava, let's say about 50 years ago, more or less. And uh, they are Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. And I think that they do very well as well with our own style, no? clearly Mediterranean style. But they blend very well with some of the local and native varieties and produces different styles of wine, which I think they make it very interesting because you have the indigenous varieties plus the blends, you know, with all these also international, these two international varieties. For reds also there is the trepat and uh, there is grenache as well that they are the two main ones used for, for making rosés. No, when I said red, I said red varieties. And then uh, the D.O. is in Spain, clearly, and that's a push we are making today, can be made in certain, uh, let's say, uh, towns or, or cities throughout Spain. It's a D.O. territory in the, in the sense that not anybody can do that, but a few places can do that. And there are mainly four main regions. One of them, the main one, and as you mentioned, is in, in Catalonia. That's the northeast of Spain. And the name of that region today receives the name of Baix Danoia Foch. No, Baixanoia Force is a subregion of this region, but it will be the main area. But it's called, it's called Comtats de Barcelona. And that would be the Catalan region that has four different subregions. I don't know if you want me to enter into that, but I don't want to complicate the life of the people listening to many names. The other, as of today, you know, in the future, maybe they are more used to it because they are new names. Then it will be on the, another second region would be on the area of East of Spain in the area of Palencia, Levante, that we call it. And then another region would be on the, on the southwest, and that's called Extremadura. And then it will be another region that uh, follows the valley river, the, the Ebro River, a valley. And then we have also some different areas. The main area is the Catalan area that, again, is subdivided in different subregions. So in terms of those subregions, um, are there different regulations or grapes planted in those regions, or is it just demarcating a specific area because there's a reflection of terroir? It has more to do with the terroir and the climate and the culture and the fact that, you know, we know that consumers, many consumers, is something that we know about the studies, origin to them is important to trace the wine and have the traceability because at the end they have usually a profile that's characteristic to this smaller area, even if it belongs to a bigger area, you know, these smaller appellations. And that profile can be recognized and liked by some, that then they become lovers and followers of that appellation. Or there are some other people that like also to taste, you know, from here and there, so they can enjoy the experience of changing uh, different wines. But uh, again, the subappellations will be able to be used by what we have segmented also Cava into basically two major segmentations, you know. One of them is will be called Cava de Guarda, and that's for all the sparkling wines that have aged for more than nine months in the cellars in the same bottle. And then it will be another segmentation that it will be called Cava de Guarda Superior. 
And these will be for cavas that have aged for more than 18 months in the cellars. They are subdivided with Reserva, Gran Reserva, and Cava de Paraje. No? The, within the Cava, the Guarda Superior. And those Cavas that are Cava de Guarda Superior, they have a specific normative that's more demanding than that for Cava de Guarda. And among the things, among them is that they need to be organic wines coming from organic vineyards. Another thing they have to do is they have to come from vineyards that are more than 10 years old in terms of the age of the vineyard, the vines. They have the yield of those vineyards is lower than than that of the general for Cava de Guarda. So it goes to 10,000 kilos per hectare. I know you're there, you're using a different, you know, but that's what we use here. Multiply by 2.5 or 2.47. 2.5, exactly. Yeah, the acres. And then the other characteristic of Cava de Guarda Superior is that they'll be able to use subpopulations. Whereas Cava de Guarda, they'll be able to mention the main region, but not the subpopulation. Okay. Also, if they don't want Cava de Guarda, if they don't want to use the region, they don't need to. Then it will be, it can become a, a wines coming from any place from the DO about the, any of these regions we've mentioned at the very beginning. So that's a little bit how Cava is today. No, we can, uh, if you want, with more questions, I can explain more or not, depending on what you want. So I have an interesting question for you. Since, you know, I think of Cava as having a number of very large producers, kind of like Champagne has large Champagne houses. I'm curious, what is the, the smaller producers like? Are you seeing a, a, a big growth and appetite from consumers for smaller producers making Cava or... Or are there a bunch of smaller producers making kava that we just don't get imported to the U.S.? Like, where's the current state of production levels in terms of the size of people making kava? I think you said it. There are some very large uh, wineries that uh, have entered the marketplace many years ago successfully, and they have built a name, and they have built distribution in many different countries. And they are large and well-known, and there are a few of them. But then within all these, you know, there are many small wineries. And I think that's very typical of consumer markets. You have uh, some people that build up a market, but then there becomes more and more. You know, there, is, there are needs for segmentation within each category. And I think that's what's happening within Cava. You know, there are more and more segmentations. And then you have smaller wineries with different philosophies. Not all of them, uh, just because of they are small, they have the same winemaking philosophy or the same way of thinking about how wine should be made or be, you know, the expression of that wine. So we have seen a, a surge of smaller wineries throughout the years, some of them already quite successful with international presence, some others that they have not yet been able to make this uh, further step, and they have very scattered presence in a few places, but they don't have a real international presence. So we can see all these things. And yeah, that leads me to ask or state that Cava is the most exported wine in Spain with 60% exported. What are the top export markets for Cava? Yeah, in fact, today we are talking about 70% exports. And that has to do also with the pandemic. We have all gone through a global pandemic. And the fact that the Spanish, if we talk about the Spanish market for a little bit, the pandemic has very much affected the on-trade channel. And uh, Spain is a country with a good climate. 
lots of tourism. In fact, we doubled the population throughout the year with tourism. And all this has not been happening. And also the, the most of the restaurants are, and hotels and so on, on-premise segment, has been closed. And a lot of sales have not happened in Spain, but international markets, and that's the nice thing that uh, about Cava, you know, the goodwill that Cava has been able to build has allowed sales for Cava, and today we are talking about 70%. In terms of markets, I think that, no, we have to mention that Europe has major markets. I think the three top markets for Cava, they all come from Europe, and it's Belgium, UK, and Germany. So these three are the, the three top markets. There are quite a few that are important as well, surrounding like the Netherlands, the Nordics. They are important, like France as well in itself, not Italy, but France, yes. And they are important as well. And if we go a little bit away from what is the EU, Russia is important as well, as well as Switzerland. They are two quite important countries. Now, if we go to North America, uh, the United States would be the fourth major market with about close to, not reaching, but close to 20 million bottles of sparkling wine sold to the United States. And then we would have, uh, if we want to keep in, in North America, Canada is also important, and it would be the 11th, the 11th market. Now, if we go to Asia, I think that they're clearly Japan is the major market. China is important, but not so much for the size of, you know, what China really is and, and uh, what they do. They haven't fallen in love with the sparkling wines yet in general. And Cava as well has not been able to make a serious entry in China, though we are present, but not that important. And also, of course, there are quite a few countries in Asia that are important, like Korea, Taiwan, uh, Hong Kong, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then uh, also Cava has presence in Latin America because Cava is in 150 markets, you know, countries. But Latin America, I would say Brazil would be the major one. But then as Peru, Chile, the Republican Dominican, but some other Latin American countries. And Australia. Australia would be number 22nd. <laughs> but it has been growing. It's, it's far away in the list, but they, they also import Cava and drink Cava. Well, it sounds like the top markets, especially those Northern European ones, are the most price sensitive. Generally, those markets tend to be very price sensitive. I guess it would be interesting to understand the types of kava in terms of price points or the different styles that are consumed domestically or in those export markets. How are they different? Because the U.S. in general tends to import higher priced wines and then Northern Europe, especially the UK, being what a very price-sensitive market tends to import the lowest-cost wines. And maybe with, as you were talking about tourism in the domestic market, is that actually higher-priced wines versus often is the case in many countries, it's the lower-priced wines that are consumed domestically and the higher exported? Well, clearly in Spain, uh, some of the higher-priced wines are sold in Spain because Spain drinks a lot of cava and also Almost, almost cava. So the presence of other sparkling wines is not so important. That allows for a huge assortment in Spain, also with the restaurant business, the on-premise side for the business. So yes, in Spain, we have a big, uh, wide assortment that goes from inexpensive, because clearly they're inexpensive, to the, the highest, the most premium sparkling wines. Now, we see that in some other export markets, but clearly, if you have to tell me a market that... Uh, you said it's very price sensitive. Clearly, Germany is very price sensitive. 
it is, and it's that way. And there has been many efforts to build more expensive sparkling wines, and there are. And they have a few, a few route to market. They find some route to market, but in the end, they're insignificant for whatever reason. In Germany, it's very difficult. Now, the UK is very competitive because we have the groceries. And the groceries means a lot for cava. So most of the cava that is sold to the UK goes to the groceries. So it means that, again, price sensitive. The groceries, they like to play with more than one category, unfortunately. So they go to the entry level and then they go a little bit higher up on the ladder, but not much more. And then, fortunately, in the UK, also you have the independents that they go up and down throughout the years in terms that uh, Sometimes independents, I mean retailers, you know, that they tend to work with all those cavas or sparkling wines or wines that are not present in the groceries. So that allows for some entry for more expensive cavas and a wider assortment and variety of cavas. So the UK, we have a little bit of that. And then if we go a little bit worldwide, I think that slowly some more premium cavas are making their entry. And I think you said that at the very beginning, Cava is very well known for a, a value price sparkling wines. But our main objective, uh, the Cava, generally speaking, sector, like many others, is since we are making great sparkling wines, is, uh, is to push them as much as we can. So what are the core challenges of Cava as a region today? In some ways, it seems like it may be in the global sparkling wine market in between Prosecco and Champagne? Yeah, well, clearly Champagne opened the world for quality sparkling wines. They have done uh, a great job in many ways in making them, in uh, the way they have grown their vineyards, they have classified their vineyards, all the traceability. They've done a great work there. And also in terms of uh, marketing and sales, you know, they, they know how to sell expensive, expensive wines, luxury wines and consumers to buy them with lots of pleasure because they think they're worth the money, you know? So I think that, to me, they can only be praised. Cava also follows the traditional method, also follows the quality route because it's making a lot of investments and a big effort, you know, with its vineyards, now that we are doing with the regions, with the origins, but also classifying. We are making registers of vineyards, following them year after year, so there is a lot of work done on this. So first thing is Cava wants to be, is, and wants to be even more a quality sparkling wine. Now, clearly not like Champagne, because Champagne is unique, because it comes from a specific region and has Atlantic weather and a kind of different climate. Cava is a Mediterranean. It has its own attractiveness and its own characteristics, and I think it goes very well. So Cava needs a lot of marketing, a lot of communication, and I think that's the major challenge because the other is happening in terms of quality, but its major challenge is, is making it known, making it known in a way, not only saying it, but that people believe <laughs> or agrees to this, you know, finds that quality, you know, and I think that's a question of, it requires time. The one business, these things don't happen overnight because we are talking a very fragmented market in terms of brands, in terms of products, in terms of types, in terms of the regions, in terms of restaurants. You know, everything is very fragmented in the wine business and the messages are built slowly within time. That's what we are working. 
Prosecco follows a different route because they have chosen a different method. They're very successful. I think they are very easy sparkling wine to drink for most consumers. They love it and they are doing a terrific job as well. But we, we differentiate from Prosecco that clearly we follow a, a different route. So in terms of Dio Cava, what is the overall mission and purpose of the Dio? Well, basically, the mission is we are a Dio, so we want to, to add value to all our members. And for this is what I said before, we need to, we need to set up making sure that what we have in the region is very, you know, it's adapted to today's consumer in terms they can understand it. We communicate it very well, that the quality of the product is superb and that we can also have different products for different consumers and different occasions and different moments. And I think all there is in Cava and that's part of what we do is to shape all this, making sure that all this happens. We also have some uh, norms. In this case, we have make them more demanding for some Cavas, you know, segmentation, Cava de Guarda Superior, Cava de Guarda and the origins. And it's part of our job as a DO and I think that differentiates us from regions that don't have a deal, is that our mission is to certify, to track, that all what is said on the label, it really is true. It's not only that the winery says that they do it, it's that somebody really is on top of the winery and is making that the traceability from the very beginning, from the vineyard up to the end, and make sure that whatever is said on the label, it's happening. And that is uh, one of our main jobs as a DO. And apart from this, as I said, communicate, defend the DO Cava. But I think this would be the main thing, you know, to keep enhancing Cava and to helping Cava grow, not in volumes as a base, but more in terms of, of that quality value that we were talking before. So how would you define a successful year or successful mission when you're looking year over year and showing like, hey, here's what we did for the members, how do you define success? Like, how do you go back to the members and say, this is what we did, this is how we moved the needle for the whole deal? Well, there are quite a few things. The first thing is that we are up to date, we are innovative, and we are up to date, you know, in terms of what's happening in terms of the wine business, that we experiment and that we are there. And that's what we try to do as, as a deal and share that with our people and we go around and, and look. And that's one of the things that, that we do, you know. That's why we can incorporate new things. And we do certain studies with the consumers, and the studies with the consumer tells us about the health of the of the Cava brand, as well as tell us about uh, certain things that the consumers, you know, love about the sparkling wines, and that suits Cava, you know, because there are certain things that suits consumers that we, as Cava, cannot do. But there are some other things that Cava, we can provide, you know, that is important to us. Clearly that the sales of Cava increase and that is helping people penetrate more into the markets. We have a lot of presence, but at the end, selling is about penetration. And the second thing, once you are there, if you're not there, you cannot sell. So you need to be there. And the second thing is to that the people see you. And the third thing is that people like you and repeat and want to buy you. And we work on these things, you know, in, in our communication in our marketing as much as we can. So that's something we measure with the sales. And also we try to monitor our marketing and, and selling programs. And the other thing we do is we also try to reach the wine business has also a lot to do with uh, word of mouth. Uh, there are a lot of prescription. There are a lot of wine ambassadors and consumers, they trust them. 
and they want to know. And these people really, they are very helpful for the wine business because they enlarge the vision and they also create appetite for those uh, wine consumers. And it is important to reach them for us and educate them and, and slowly that they appreciate more our cava and they can really then say that uh, to the consumers. So you mentioned your members. Who are the members? Is it all wineries in Cava are forced to be, or is it and is it more than wineries? Yeah, it's um, let's say we say the production side, and the production side basically is the vineyard people, the growers, and then it, it comes the wineries on the other side. So, in fact, in the Dio, if we want to explain a little bit what it is, is uh, there is a body that's elected by the growers. They have six members. And by the wineries, they have another six members. So there is parity between the two. Our success, as you said before, is to make the value of the brand every year with a bigger value, the brand, bigger sales, and that's a part of our success. And they pay a fee. They pay a fee to the DO, so it's optional. You, you are a member of the DO or you are not a member of the DO. But if you are a member, you need to follow the rules. You can try to change the rule, but you'll have to do that through those members. They will be the ones that vote or influence the projects and so on. And then if you're a member, you need to pay a fee. So every hectare or acre of vineyard pays a fee and every winery per bottle they sell, they pay a fee. I'm curious on what is the main message that Dio Cava is trying to put out into the market to inform potential consumers or wine buyers about Cava? There is not, well, if we go to consumers in a campaign, Basically, what we want to do is, you know, it's uh, we play with that sparkling wine clearly, and then we try to create, if it's a campaign and it's an image, you know, we want to make sure that we we open up the appetite of the consumer wants to consume that product. And then we explain very fast, you know, that we name Cava, then we name Spain among the things we say. We can also say that we are Mediterranean. And then we try to come up with a sentence and it depends on the occasion that summarizes what, uh, you know, the, the moment we want to recreate, no? But basically today we are trying to, to comment, to enlarge the consumer base, apart from penetrating, is also by increasing the consumer occasions. We have studies and we work on this of pairings cava with food, you know? And we think cava has a lot of versatility and then we... We play with this in all our marketing activities that we do. It's one of the things that comes up, no? And in some cases, we have even a sentence that says that Cava elevates every meal, and it does in two ways. The meal in itself is great, but Cava in itself is great, and the two together is great, and also being a sparkling wine, you know, makes the occasion always more special. Yeah, I was looking at the website, uh, Cava.wine, it was really interesting to see really early on that, you know, there's a section here, like, why not try Cava with Mexican food? And it talks about that right up front. And I was just like, oh, that's great. And kind of off the beaten, like, not necessarily apparent. And now that I see it, totally makes sense. But definitely it was something that was interesting that they jump right into the food pairings with kind of normal fare. And I thought that was quite interesting to see that the website kind of went right there as opposed to talking about the process as much and all that stuff right away. Well, we do that as well, but we know consumers uh, want to know later about that, yeah. So when you're marketing these messages to your audience, how do you think about the differences in focus between marketing to consumers versus marketing to the trade, the on-off-premise buyers versus journalists? 
I presume you probably go after all three. Do the messages differ at all, or the they're a little bit different? You know, I think that uh, when we talk trade, I think that journalists they trying to find more about the process sometimes, and also about they want to know about everything, and they care about the story as well because it's part of what they are going to write and explain. But yes, for the journalists, we bring them to the. It's very important to bring them to the to where the action is. They see the Kava region. They see what it means to be in the Mediterranean. They feel the culture. All these are are very important, you know. And then, of course, they want to do tastings. And also, they want to be educated as much as they can. So we give them uh, the treatment they deserve because they are very important for us. Trade education, sometimes trade is more about, as you said, is more about educating because the trade, at the end, what they want to do is they sell the products. They want to make sure that they sell it to, to its maximum and making the max the most out of it. And they need to know a little bit how to play with it. So we have for them web seminars, and then we have also the uh, Wine Academy course and that is starting this year, but we had done starting this year online. But previously, we were doing that by in different countries. So education is very important part for us with the trade. And then we do a lot of tastings. Consumer is a little bit different. Consumer is, is more impulse, is more emotional, and is more about experience as well, and is more about sharing. So then for them, you do more events in which, you know, they socialize, they mingle, they share, they have a great time, you know, experience. And then you have to be very careful about the surroundings, how you associate the brand with, you know, and and these kind of things. And that's what we do with them. And of course, then there are different kinds of consumers. There are some consumers that really, they are into wine and they really want to know. And they already bring with themselves a lot of knowledge. They want to do tastings. They want to be informed. They want to be educated. That we do as well for them. And of course, another part of the business, you know, for the wineries is clearly, we love to have consumers visiting the wineries, you know, because first it's a great experience for them. They love it. You know, wine tourism has grown a lot. I think that in the United States, you've been the best ones. It's always been happening, but you have professionalized it a lot. And we are learning that this is a, a very nice business, as well as a great way to communicate and create loyalty to your brand. So I'm curious if you had a couple of examples of promotions that have worked well, and maybe we could just take one and focus on the trade. Like, what do you think is the the thing that you're going to do every year that has been the most successful to actually promote Kava with the trade? Is that a, in the form of a webinar? Is it an event? Is that a press trip? What has been most successful to get the word out to the trade? I know you won one, but I think it's a combination because I think that for whatever reason in the wine business, you need to touch quite a few ones. Now, if you're telling me about events, it depends, but I mean, uh, sometimes to make a major event, you get more out of it than maybe smaller events, but then you need to have the money for that. But a major event, I can imagine, you know, a major event with international chefs coming to Barcelona, for instance, and making them having the joy of, of joining us and also us communicating that worldwide. That is something that you can do. But clearly, webinars are very important to us. We need to reach people constantly because there are sommeliers. There are more and more sommeliers. It's something that in the past, a sommelier was like uh, only very fine restaurants would have sommeliers. Today, sommeliers is, is somebody that understands about wine, loves wine, and can communicate with the consumers. 
And the more you teach them, the more, and they want to know. And then you need to, you need to impact them, to touch them, because we are not the only ones doing that. And, and if you don't do that, you are a little bit outside game. So they're very important people. So these are the things we do. And then, uh, as I was saying before, I think that the Wine Academy course that we call it, Wine Cava Academy, it's something that is done in the past. And that way we train here is to create some wine ambassadors. So people that uh, we not only touch them, but also we want to build in them this kind of embrace Cava, love Cava, and be great ambassadors. Got it. It's actually an interesting thing because we were talking with another trade body from another country. And one of the things I think is interesting about Spain is that there's a lot of Spanish restaurants. Obviously, you can drink cava at any level of restaurant, any type of restaurant. But I'm wondering when you go to Spanish food is very famous. I'm wondering when you go to a market, reaching those psalms at those Spanish restaurants, whether they're tapas bars or high end Spanish dining, like there's a huge mix of Spanish restaurants. I'm wondering, is that a major outlet for you to connect with specific psalms? How are you approaching those psalms? Are you actually trying to target ones that are going to be serving Spanish fare? No, I think what we try to, I mean, clearly, if there are good Spanish restaurants, which today there are many of them, and you're talking about some of the great tapas restaurants that are around, and and not only tapas, you know, more uh, different kind of cuisine, we want to be with them. And that's uh, because it's an easier connection. Also, consumers that go there want to try, you know, those uh, Spanish wines. So it's an easy and clear route. But our ambition goes beyond that. We want to there with uh, lots of foods, no? As, as you said before, Mexican food, all kind of, you know, Japanese, Asian food. Today, there are many. And in fact, that's why I think it goes very well with that. It's, uh, we're talking about tapas, you know, the foodie movement. Part of the foodie movement is making great things but accessible, easy, and can be refined. And I think Cava, we have these examples in all kinds of cuisines. And and that's uh, an avenue, as, as, as I was saying before, we are touching. So this is a route to market that is important to us. It's not as easy as the Italians, you know, because when you were saying that, I think that the Italians, and that's just a general comment that we all know, one of the, you know, great advantages they have had when they promote their wines is that there are so many Italian restaurants. That's a joy for them. And so going back a little bit to the academy, what were the details? How did that work? Well, basically, is we have different modules in which those people, you know, I would say students, but they are not. They enter and they go about Cava in different areas of Cava. One of things has to do with the elaboration of Cava, the regions of Cava, and all that part, technical part but then about tasting cavas, profiles of cava, pairings, and so on. And here what we try to do also is we, we use some uh, great professionals, you know, well-known professionals, that also those trade people that want to take the course, once they, you know, there are some master of wine, some reputed uh, journalists, and so on, and they'll be in the course and do some of the tastings and some of the, let's say, the lectures. So the, I don't know how you, would you call them. And that's another incentive for the people to be able to, to be with them, you know. Some of them, and as of today, they are videotaped. So, in fact, they're going to see videotape. But some others will be real, real, in fact, that they'll have the opportunity to interact with those master of wines and, and these experts. But it takes a time, so you need to enter, do the course, takes a time, and at the end, you know, you get a, a certificate. 
Do your marketing techniques differ by country or do you approach each of the major markets differently? Well, I think that generally speaking, most of everything works. The concepts, eh? the concepts, I think that they are quite global. They work well. What works well in a restaurant in one country tends to work well with another restaurant. If you do webinars for journalists in a, or for trade people in one country, you can do webinars in another country. You know, if you do the Wine Academy course, you can do it uh, online worldwide. So there are quite a few things if you do, let's say, pairings of, of sparkling wines and food uh, for consumers in different with a selection of restaurants or selected restaurants that works well in every country. Having said this, each country is different and the competitors are different. The options that the consumers have are different and the culture, you know, is different. So you cannot do the same things in China that you do in the United States. You need to adapt. Or the same thing in Japan, you need to adapt. There are certain things in Japan that will not work and some others will work. I would say that uh, the concept works more or less in, uh, for every country, but then you need to adapt locally. So in the U.S., you're rolling out a major initiative called 360 Degrees of Kava. Can you explain a little bit about the program so we can understand how that's unique? Well, what it is, is basically it's a program that what we do is mainly educational and it's targeted to some consumers, you know, that are going to be doing a masterclass and tastings. So that's part of it. And also we are opening a, a constant um, press office so that uh, people can, that all the time, then, you know, there'll be uh, circulating things and making things. We're also doing social media initiatives, trying to communicate, and then uh, we'll do some tactical advertising. But in the end, this 360, what it means is that we are doing quite a few things all together to communicate Kava that one supports the other, you know, all of them combined, they support one each other. So is there one perception that you'd want to change with the consumers or trade about Kava? Well, if I had to change one perception is that uh, not everybody has this perception, but if I had to say many, many, too many people think that Kava is only a value, which is a great thing to be, a value sparkling wine. And I think that Kava has lots of quality behind, lots of experiences to be found and great bottles of wine. And I think that that's something slowly we would like to open the minds of people and start considering this more and more. Javier, with every guest, we always ask them to provide a lasting trend. And we'd love for you to identify what is a lasting trend for Cava? Well, hopefully, lasting trend is Cava has grown internationally. So, And that's not uh, only for Cava, but I think sparkling wine is a lasting trend. I think that consumers enjoy more and more sparkling wines, and Cava is, is there. Among, uh, there are three major specialized uh, DOs that are there present, and Cava is one of them. So I hope this uh, trend of consumption continues. And then I say that other smaller trends or subtrends would be organic and ecological. This is growing a lot, and I think it will last. And our region is prepared has prepared and is, is preparing and will prepare because we believe in being in touch with nature, the climate, the planet, and so on. So that's uh, another part of this. So on the flip side of that, what do you think is a fizzling fad, something that related to kava, whether it's a perception or something with the actual production, what do you think is something that was popular and is now fading away? 
I cannot think of anything. I know I should answer something, but I cannot think of anything. <laughs> Perhaps the perception that Kava is just yes, a value line. That could, be, is a that, could be, <laughs> that could be, but I don't want to repeat myself and say it too <laughs> <Okay>. many times. <laughs> Well, Javier, you know, Peter, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk about Diocava, get some insight to the region and how it's changing and some of the challenges that you have and also some of the ways that you market and communicate to both trade and consumers. We greatly appreciate your time and for all, sharing all this information with us. Well, it's me that has to thank you to give us the opportunity you know, to talk a lot, Lisa, about Cava. And it's been a pleasure to do that with you too. They are two great professionals. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. If you loved this episode of X Chateau, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, cheers. cheers.